Parenting is often lived in the extremes. It's either great joy or chaotic overwhelm. In one moment, you're nailing it, and the next, you're losing your cool. I want to help you find your way to the messy middle, to a place of balance. You see, balance is a verb, not a state of being. It is a thing you do, not a thing you are. It is an action, a process, a series of micro-corrections that you make each and every day to keep yourself feeling centered. We are never truly balanced. We are engaged in the process of balancing. Hello, I'm Dr. Laura Froyan, and this is the Balanced Parent Podcast, where overwhelmed, stressed out, and disconnected parents go to find tools, mindset shifts, and practices to help them stop yelling at the people they love and start connecting on a deeper level, all delivered with heaping doses of grace and compassion. Join me in conversations that will help you get clear on your goals and values and start showing up in your parenting, your relationships, your life with open-hearted authenticity and balance. Let's go. Hello, everybody. This is Dr. Laura Froyan. I am here with another episode of the Balanced Parent Podcast. I'm so glad that you're here and listening with me today because we are going to talk about something that is a little bit new and definitely exciting for the podcast. Here with me today, I have my dear friend and colleague in the relationship space, Jana Denden-House. She is a women's desire coach expert. Yeah, and she's going to talk to us all about how we can stay connected and enjoy our couple relationship, even as busy parents. So Jana, welcome to the show. Why don't you tell us a little bit more about who you are and what you do? Well, it was my experience. I really struggled with wanting or enjoying sex very much for probably, I mean, a good 10 years of my marriage. And I'm heading into 20 years in December. So yay. yay. Congratulations. Thank you. I got married very young. I was 17 and it wasn't because I was pregnant or any weird cult was happening. It was, it just happened. And I was really excited to become a young mom and it was just something I wanted to do. So we struggled with sex for the first, I mean, like I said, about 10 years, but it really started right away. And it wasn't something I was anticipating would be a challenge in relationships. I thought, you know, communication or something like that would be the big one. And I really had nobody to talk to about this. And so it felt really lonely. I felt really broken. I felt like there was something wrong with me. And so about five years into a lot of fighting, we went to a counselor and we started the journey of trying to figure out, I mean, originally I thought, how am I going to fix myself? Mm. That's really where I headed because that's what society was telling me. You have low libido, a low sex drive. There's something wrong with you and you need to figure that out, whether it's hormonal or I don't know. There weren't a lot of answers for me and I really tried hard. I read all the books, all the people, workshops. I was desperate because it was really the one thing in our relationship that we just couldn't figure out. And otherwise we had a lot of fun together. We were pretty good at our communication and we had some children in the meantime. 
we had enough sex just to basically procreate. (laughs) Well, actually I trained as a marriage coach and I started working with couples and I started to gain my confidence to kind of deviate from the advice that I had been given up until then, which was it's good for your marriage. Just kind of force yourself, just try to get into it. And eventually make it till you make it, make it till you make it spice things up, try, I don't know, lingerie or role play or whatever it could be fantasy here, all the things we hear and none of it worked. It, It just kind of left me even feeling more empty and unsatisfied. So I grew in my confidence and I decided, you know what? I know enough now to pull from different theories and modalities. And I figured it out and it was amazing. And I felt so much freedom. And the biggest thing I found out was there was nothing wrong with me at all. There was just a lot of things going on with society and also the environment of my sexual relationship as well. Thank you so much for sharing your story. And I think what you're saying is so important. I think it's a really important message that we share because I think people in general in this society, but women specifically get told that we are broken so much, particularly as we transition into motherhood. You didn't have birth a certain way. You're broken. You pee after you had a baby. You're broken. You weren't able to have a baby and needed to adopt you're broken. You know, you don't want it from your partner. You're broken. We get this message over and over and over again. And I think it is so important that we hear from lots of different sources and lots of different people that there's nothing wrong with us, that we were never broken in the first place, that maybe even the system, the narrative is what's broken. That's everything that's wrong. There's nothing wrong. You, nothing wrong with me. And when we get into that space of being able to just listen to ourselves for the first time, you know, to be able to trust our intuition and really connect with ourselves, how the answers come pretty quick. Oh my gosh. I feel like I'm having this like meta moment too, because this is what I talk about in parenting. So many people come to me seeking the answer, wanting me to be the guru, show them the way. I want everybody to start getting in touch with themselves, start listening to themselves, start trusting themselves. And you're telling me it's the same in the desire and sex world. Exactly the same. So can you just tell me what are some of the big misconceptions then? Like, so I know what some of the big misunderstandings that parents have about child development and parenting. What are some of the, like the misconceptions that we might have about desire and how to keep intimacy alive in a marriage, in a long-term monogamous relationship that many of us are in, choosing to be in. Although I do recognize that I do have a poly community who listens to my podcast. So not everybody is choosing a monogamous or one partner relationship. So the biggest one I think is that men are the holders of the sexuality And not only the holders of their sexuality, but the holders of female sexuality as well. If you uncover just the simplest narrative in any romance novel, it's the guy comes in with all his, what's the word, suave, suave, I don't know, there's something there. And he makes her quiver with delight and she just doesn't even know what's happening and she's not leading. And he just is basically explaining to her, not even explaining, but just using her body. And 
is the knower of everything sexual. And you'll see that in romantic comedies and and it's everywhere when you start to open your eyes. And so what ends up happening is that I find I work with a lot of very empowered, very strong women who are lawyers and doctors and have accomplished a lot in their lives, have really been able to fight the forces of patriarchy in the outside world. And yet in their, in the bedroom, they aren't able to do that for themselves. And it's because that culture conditioning is so strong. So the first thing I ask women to do is actually become the leader of the sexual experience. Okay. And so what does it look like then to be the leader of the sexual experience in a partnership? Well, you start off with the man doing nothing, saying nothing, requesting for nothing, just laying down and enjoying whatever may come to pass. And so we start maybe just with the woman placing her hands on her husband's chest and feeling his warmth and figuring out what she wants to do next. Does she want to press down hard on his manly muscles and feel that resistance? Or does she want to put the backs of her hands on his soft skin and feel his chest hair and delight in that? Does she want to smell his neck? And he just relaxes and doesn't make requests doesn't grab, doesn't grope, doesn't comment, and provides a safe structure for her in order for her to probably for the first time recognize that she is a sexual woman and she has pleasure capacity. Oh, what it, tell me more about that term, that pleasure capacity term. I feel intrigued. Yeah, well, you know, as women that we're told to really prioritize productivity over most things, right? Mm-hmm. What did you do today is the question we ask each other or ask of ourselves. We feel guilty by the end of the day. We haven't gone through our to-do list. We feel like failures because we can't figure out the latest productivity hack or the Pinterest board or the blah, blah, <laughs> blah, right? Yes. But, and sadly, we're in a pleasure deficit. And mm-hmm. chronically as women, and we're struggling And one of the major ways we struggle is in the sexual experience because we're trying to go in at like negative 160. We're just going to go into this experience and we're just going to buzz our way to orgasm so we can feel successful and productive and our husband, we can provide for our husbands. And so even our orgasms are for them, it seems like, so that they can feel good about their capacity and abilities as that man that they're supposed to be. So prioritizing our everyday pleasure outside of the sexual experience is where we start. The easiest way is through extracting through our five senses. So tell me what that looks like then in everyday practice. So if we're talking about outside of the sexual experience, just increasing our pleasure in general, what does that look like for, you know, I mean, most of our listeners are women for, so a mom who's maybe at home with her kids right now. Okay. So let's do it right now. You and I, so just scan your five senses. So something to smell. So I'll pick up my tea, Earl Grey tea with almond milk. Um, I just ate a piece of pumpkin pie. So I'm going to smell the plate. Smells good. Mm-hmm. Smells a little sweet. I can smell the bergamot in there. Uh, we could do our, our touch sense. So I just got these fuzzy new slippers which I really enjoy. So I'm kind of wiggling my toes around in the slippers. I have on a very soft sweater. 
That's very nice to touch. We can look, open our eyes and look around and see something that delights us, a color we like. Maybe it's the sky. I'm going to rest my eyes on this beautiful lamp that I have that diffuses the light just beautifully. Hmm. I am noticing a book that I love. Hold Me Tight by Sue Johnson. Oh, you know, I love it too. I figured you did. (laughs) So you can go through all of your senses. That didn't take very long. We didn't have to pay anything extra or spend amounts, you know, big amounts of time. So pleasure is there all. It's available to us. It's a resource that we can tap into which will recharge us, increase our creativity, and also help us transition into the sexual experience easier. And when we build that muscle of being able to extract pleasure, we can experience the sexual experience at a whole new level. Isn't that narrow defined box that we've been given to enjoy sex through? I love this idea too, that this is, that we can build capacity, the act of experiencing pleasure, deriving pleasure is a skill that we can build, that we can hone, that we can cultivate within ourselves. Yeah. Absolutely. Yep. And what you're really combating specifically in the sexual experience when you do this is that drive for goals that we're told. So goals for orgasm and penetration We are combating worrying about what our husbands are thinking about us as we moan or hum. I love to hum. That's part of my pleasure (laughs) in the sexual experience. You know, if I'm worried about what my husband thinks, or if that was a legitimate sexual experience, or is he having a good time? Is he bored? Is this not intense enough for him? That's going to get in the way of my experience. So we really do have a lot to combat and, you know, struggle against sometimes. So wait, are you saying that when the kind of those thoughts start rolling in that you've hummed kind of quiet them? Well, just humming is something I've learned that I really enjoy because it brings mm-hmm. vibration throughout my whole body. And actually, when I hum, my vulva hums with me. <laughs> that sounded so <laughs> cheesy. But it's true. I actually... Oh my gosh, I, our throats and our pelvic floor are very deeply connected. Very connected. And I enjoy humming with my husband. But... The layers of cultural messaging that I had to get through to get to the Mm -hmm. point where I could, number one, recognize that humming was a real pleasure for me. And also like a legitimate pleasure, legitimate pleasure, a worthy pleasure, a worthy pleasure, because I don't I've never seen a couple do that before on Grey's Anatomy. Have you? (laughs) Maybe don't watch Grey's Anatomy. Oh no, there was definitely lots of Grey's Anatomy. (laughs) Show to pick on when it comes to sexual experience. Yeah. (laughs) Right? There was no model of that. I had no one growing up or even all the professionals I saw that said, hey, you know, trust yourself. You'll find some things that are delightful for you. And then having to request that from my husband. That's also a huge thing that I have to overcome. So it takes work, but man, is it worth it? Yeah. Okay. And so for those of us who are at the beginning of this, we talked about that one of the first steps is just increasing your daily experience of pleasure. What is the next step? Well, one potential next step would be connecting with your body. And that can feel a bit overwhelming because, again, we have a lot of cultural messages that tell us that our bodies are shameful 
that they're mm-hmm. not adequate, that they're disgusting, that they're for men's pleasure and not for our own, that you don't want to be seen as too loose. I'm thinking of an S word. I don't know what to say that. Yes. <laughs> S-L-U-T. And, but at the same time, you don't want to seem frigid. A lot of women have never even seen their vulvas before or know what it likes, never had any compliments given to her. Yes, I talk about vulvas in the third person. (laughs) So I really help women try kind of wade through those real uncomfortable moments with their own bodies to get to a place of maybe not even acceptance. You know, maybe acceptance is actually quite a big leap for us to expect of ourselves, but maybe to neutral, you know, maybe it's not, I love my gorgeous bum. Maybe it's, I have a bum or I have dimples on my bum, you know, Mm -hmm. or I have a vulva or I have pubic hair and, you know, maybe we can get a little bit to the positive side, which is, wow, she's beautiful. And she's a source of creativity for me and she's worthy and it's okay. What I'm doing right now, I'm learning, you know, if you're learning about your body in self-exploration, that this is what mature, sophisticated women do. We learn mm-hmm. about ourselves. I feel like you are rewriting the messaging. Like part of the work is coming to understand what messages did we receive about ourselves, about sex, about our bodies growing up and examining whether they're ones that we truly believe, whether they're ones we want to embody, ones that are serving us, which ones to let go, which ones to rewrite. And this is what we do in conscious parenting all the time. It's exactly the same, but this is conscious partnering. And I mean, just being conscious, like self knowing too, like deciding for ourselves, like we get to choose how we think about ourselves, how we think about these relationships. I think it's a powerful thing to be able to do, but also hard and tricky. It's hard and tricky. And we have to go back to not our fault. Yeah. I think that's so important. You know, there's this great show on Netflix, Sex Education. Have you seen that show? It's a British show. I haven't, no, but I definitely Oh my gosh, you definitely need to watch it. But there's this scene where there's a girl who is, it's very stereotypically, you know, blonde, big chested, you know, just, you know, the sex symbol. And she's had a boyfriend and who, and she's just engaged with him in sex in a very stereotypical, like porn exemplifying way, you know, the way that we think about in like mainstream, like this is what sex is. And then she gets another partner who is like, surprised by how she's so performative in sex and that for sex for her it seems like it is a performance and not about pleasure and has a partner who again encourages her to spend time figuring out what she likes and then come back to him when she's ready like there's a piece of that way you were talking about before that men are the keepers of the knowledge you know men need to give permission to do those things but like I mean like she does she goes she spends like seven hours with herself figuring out like and I think about like what would have happened if somebody had encouraged me to do that at 17? You know, like how different my life would be. Right. I have two daughters they are 11 and 12. And so I'm already starting this with them just by touch that we share. So for example, I was stroking my daughter's hair the other night 
And I stopped, I realized that wasn't something she asked for. And I hadn't asked consent to stroke her hair. So I just stopped and said, do you want me to stroke your hair? Does this feel good? She says, yeah. So I stroked and I thought, this is a good opportunity. I said, would you like me to just put my hand over your hair or really scratch your scalp and get in there? She's like, oh, scratch my scalp. Do you want me to do it with the pads in my fingers or my nails? I'll do it with your nails. And she demonstrated what she wanted. I thought, there we go. That is the beginning of it for her that I'm talking about pleasure. Like, oh yeah, that feels good. Like it's a good thing to feel pleasure. And also there's options for pleasure and she is in the driver's seat. Wow. I mean, that's a beautifully respectful interaction that you had with your daughter. I mean, I have interactions like that with my kids all the time, you know, because consent is incredibly important to us in our house. Unexpected touches are and unwanted touches are not, we do our very best not to have those happen. That's purposeful because I've been touched without consent. I mean, because we just are like unwanted hugs, unwanted kisses, and then other bigger violations. And I always want my kids to know that their body is theirs and they get to choose. I had never made that connection that we're also teaching them about pleasure. And that's, about that's what's missing. That's yeah, it huge, is huge. Yeah, huge in sex education for kids. And I see it with the women I work with, you know, 20, 30, 40 years down the road from their childhood. And they were just told the whole time, just don't do it, but never had the, the pleasure training or the mentorship that pleasure is a really great thing to experience and have. And also, like we talked about earlier, it is kind of a muscle that you need to develop. Yeah, skill you need to hone. I feel like I'm having a, like a, a lean in moment. I feel like listeners are going to want to know a little bit more about this. I think that sometimes the word pleasure has a meaning that makes us shy away from it a little bit, especially when we think about our kids experiencing pleasure. And I mean, and so like the idea of like sensual pleasure, which really, I mean, all it is is feeling deeply and intensely. Like it has nothing to do necessarily with sexual pleasure. We're talking about pleasure in general, right? When I was creating my methodology, if I should use the word pleasure, because I was very aware that it can create that kind of cringy, icky, kind of squeamish feeling. Mm-hmm. But the reason why that happens is because female pleasure, sexual pleasure has been so shamed. Mm. And that's why we're getting that squeamish feeling. We have to be very clear about where that messaging is coming from. It is not truth. It is not reality. And so what I decided to do was reclaim that word instead of shying away from it. So I've reclaimed the word pleasure in my life. And my daughters now are able to use the word pleasure. This food brings us pleasure. This hug brings us pleasure. The sky brings us pleasure because we are sexual beings. We're sexual beings from the moment we're birthed, from the moment we're conceived. We are growing our sexual identity and our sexual pleasure. So of course we have boundaries and of course we don't engage in sexual experiences with our children. Of course we don't. But engaging with them, their whole selves, and me as a whole self woman is really healthy, I believe. I think, and I think it's important to be clear here. So this is something that, you know, I used to teach um, uh, 
sexual development at the college level. And my students were always very surprised to hear that sexual development starts when people are born. You know, they always have a sexual identity, even children. And this does not mean this is a point that's uncomfortable for people to consider because, and rightfully concerned about healthy interactions with kids, with good boundaries with kids around this. But like, I mean, this is one of the reasons why we're so uncomfortable when we find out a kid's been touching themselves or, you know, which is all normal and healthy and a part of having a body. I don't know. I think it's important just to know that just like fine motor development starts at birth, you know, just like cognitive development starts before birth because your brain is growing before birth, you know, like just like gross motor development starts, you know, just like language development starts at birth, you know, or even before, because babies hear before too, they become accustomed to sounds and have pref- sound preferences. Those things all like this is just another aspect of development that goes through your whole lifespan. Yeah. And I often think of, like you mentioned, what if we were given the right education like that? Mm-hmm. What if I had been taught these things? Well, first off, I wouldn't be doing the work I'm doing because I wouldn't have struggled so much. So, you know, there's that. But what a difference if I had gone into my first sexual experience, feeling connected with myself, trusting my intuition, mm-hmm. knowing that the experience, expecting the experience to be pleasurable, that it was yeah. for me that I had all the words and all the understanding, I mean, it would have been absolutely a different experience and would have transformed my relationship with my husband from day one. Yeah, absolutely. I think so. And let's bring it back then to the here now we have, you know, if we're partnered with someone, we're in a marriage, we're together, we're working towards kind of figuring out pleasure, figuring out comfort with those things, figuring out kind of stripping away programming and messaging and narratives and deciding for ourselves what it is true for us. What about those conversations with a partner? How do we bring our partner into this? I know like my partner has done a lot of learning alongside me as I'm learning about these things for myself. You and I, we're not the average ladies here, you know, and I guarantee we probably don't have average partners either. My, like that was a prerequisite for my husband. Like when we got married, I was like, you were going to need to go to therapy with me probably a lot. Is that going to be okay with you? Because otherwise, I don't think we can get married. You know, like, I mean, that was like, we're going to get to see couples therapists a lot (laughs) just for fun sometimes. But the average partner who wants things to get better, like, how does that conversation start? Yeah, wow. I have seen the conversation start in such, such a variety of ways. But really where it needs to start is establishing safety for the women. And when I say safety, We get it as women. We walk through a dark parking garage and we carry our keys a certain way, or we navigate through the space to be always under the light. We understand safety. And what I found in my relationship and really great, healthy, wonderful marriages is that there is a lot of unsafe feelings surrounding the sexual experience that we think is normal. So it's normal to kind of want to swipe your hand or your husband's hand away. Or it's normal to kind of delay going to bed because you don't want to navigate the sex conversation. Or it's normal to kind of inwardly cringe when he calls you sexy because you really don't like it. Or kind of when he stares at you when you get undressed. Mm -hmm. I've talked to hundreds of women and their experiences are very similar. 
So it starts there. What are you really excited? And it's a hundred percent yes for you. And what is, I don't really like it kind of a maybe and what's a no. And if it's a maybe it's a no, because (laughs) we are conditioned to push ourselves. Well, he likes touching my breasts so I can deal with it. Or he wants me to wear lingerie. It's not terrible. Mm. We're going for an enthusiastic yes. And that's where you start. And sometimes the conversations are easy. Mm -hmm. Your husband says, wow, thank you for letting me know. I don't want you to feel uncomfortable and unsafe. I am here to do this thing with you. We're a team and we got this and I will do my best. Please remind me if I need reminders. Mm-hmm. There are other husbands who struggle more with this because yeah. patriarchal world, because men have been taught that their wives' bodies are theirs, because misogyny, <laughs> because yeah. culture, also because porn. So it depends on where you're at in your relationship and also where your husband's at, if he's going to really get on board with this or if he's going to struggle. And, you know, there's other factors too. He may feel like he's kind of criticizing him. So he might get defensive or he might feel like he's not doing a great job as a husband. So he'll feel like a failure and people do funky things when they, when they have those interpretations. So it's definitely a conversation that, that needs some navigating. Yeah. And so where do people go to get support then in having those conversations? Well, I'm sure we both have some great book recommendations we can offer in terms of boundaries and in terms of attachment theory for marriages. Uh, You mentioned Hold Me Tight is a great resource, counseling, coaching, therapy, getting support. I mean, this is a little bit customized, right? Figuring out your own interpretations, how to ask for reassurance around that. And so, yeah, it takes time, but, but where you start is with yourself, figuring out those enthusiastic yeses and those maybes and the nos, and knowing that you have bodily autonomy, that you are worthy, that you don't owe your husband any sexual favors or any access to your body, that consent does not end with I do. So, um, mm. so you've got a whole, whole bunch of women behind you, you know, who are navigating this, and it's a tricky landscape. Yeah. Okay. And so then what about, you know, the folks who are here, they want to have this intimate connection with their partner and perhaps they even miss the intimacy that they had before the physical intimacy, the sex that they had before kids. Um, They want to be with their partner in that way again, or even in a better way and healthier way and a, in a deeper way, where do they start? Like, how do they figure out, you know, like, like the path for them? Well, you start by scheduling some experiences to have together. If it's not scheduled, often it will happen. <laughs> you know, the, the things that we prioritized are on our calendar. And again, we're up against the cultural messaging that sex has to be spontaneous and spicy to count, that we have to follow that formula, the media formula, where we bust through the door frame and frantically unbutton each other's clothes <laughs> and do the gropey thing and the kissing thing and the panting and the, all that it's all for, it's all performative. That's all for lights, camera, action. And where I find some magical, intimate, deep moments happen is when they're scheduled. 
So we have what are called exploration dates on Sunday mornings. And we set aside about two hours for them. And we're intentional. I eat breakfast beforehand because if not, I have low blood sugar and I'm not fun (laughs) to be around. Uh, We make sure we've got great lube available and any other aids we want, good condoms. My husband has a shower. We lock the door. The kids know that this is our alone time. They now know we're having sex because they're 11 and 12 and that's just... (laughs) where the conversation has gone. They like to ignore that fact though. So we let them do that and (laughs) don't force it on them that mom and dad are having sex now. We we still say we're having our alone time and it's intentional time to be together. We talk about our week. We, I ask for reassuring questions like, do you think I'm a good mom? Am I a good wife? Do you think I'm a successful business owner? Are you proud of me? All the things I want to hear. We start very slow with massage and I like just to be naked now, but I used to like a nice cotton tank top and some shorts on and we follow my pleasure through the experience and he is the responder to that. And in that way, we have the most connected, intimate sex that we've ever had. And after going for years of having no sex at all, I now genuinely think fondly of our sexual experiences. I miss them when they don't happen. And I'm the one to say, hey, you know, we're a little busy this weekend. Let's make sure we get this on the calendar. So with anything, you got to create space, right? Got to create space to allow it to happen. That's so helpful. Thank you for being so open with kind of how it works for you. But what about those of us who just don't? want it don't think about it they feel too tired they don't they're overwhelmed they're they're touched out as it is you know who just don't want to be you know together with their partner that way anymore maybe they used to maybe they never really did like what is but they you know we have these again these messages that we should you know that we should there's this pull and we, we love our partners you know so we do want to be close to them and have a healthy relationship like what if desire isn't there you know this whole idea of desire that it happens first and Mm -hmm. then we're going to get into sexual experience you know if you think about anything you really love to do like I love rollerblading on the sea walk with a good podcast or tunes do I really crave that rollerblading before I go into it am I just wanting to run out to the car and zoom down to the ocean no (laughs) I'm like, oh, I think I'd really enjoy it. I just want to sit on the couch. Mm-hmm. Or the weather isn't that great. Or it's a bit breezy out. Or my foot hurts a little bit. So why do we expect for us to feel like this you know, around sex? It's because that's what we're shown. We're shown mm-hmm. spontaneous desire. So there's actually two types of desire. And one is spontaneous, which is that kind of lightning bolt to the genitals that I was describing. Like, oh my gosh, I have to just hump a doorknob right now. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I got to call my husband home from work because I'm just going to explode. Or there's responsive desire, which actually most of the women that I serve have and I have, which means that your your arousal is cultivated within a, a safe comfortable, reassuring environment, an accepting environment. 
So I'm saying that what I have done and helped hundreds of other women do who are exactly in that position that you just mentioned, not wanting it, is just creating a space for the opportunity for pleasure, the opportunity for connection and not feeling like there's something broken or wrong with you if you don't feel like your vulva is on fire before it happens. But it can happen gradually. And furthermore, the pleasure is all around you. It doesn't have to just happen in your genitals. It can happen just through the warmth of his cheek against yours or listening to his heartbeat or holding his hand or smelling his hair or giving him a foot massage and feeling his big, strong feet. I don't know. (laughs) My husband has very large feet. It takes a long time to massage, (laughs) you know? So we have to be so aware of these narratives around sex drive. Mm. So create the space for yourself, be the leader. So there's safety, focus on extracting pleasure, not going for goals like penetration and orgasm and stay connected with your body through breath, through humming, singing, through even looking at your vulva in a mirror during the sexual experience and both delighting and how beautiful she is. Oh, I think those are lovely. You know, the mirror thing I think is fine for me, but probably surprising for others. But it's funny, both of my girls at one point or another, when they were maybe like two, two and a half, asked for a mirror. And so they both have mirrors in their rooms that are for the express purpose of being able to see their whole bodies. (laughs) You have given them such a gift. Oh, yeah. I mean, gosh, you know. It's so funny. My oldest is eight. And so we're reading the book, Sex is a Funny Word, right now. And she knows more about her body right now when she's eight than I knew about it, I think, when I was like 22, maybe. Like, I mean. Same with my girls. You know how many women, like FYA, you're not alone if this is new information for you, but there's two holes. There's the (laughs) (laughs) you're laughing because I have spoken to like 45 year old women who didn't know this. There's a hole where the baby comes out of. That's also where the period blood comes out and where the penis goes in. There's another hole where your pee comes out of your urethral opening. It's kind of surrounded by this kind of spongy. I always think of it like coral. I always think Mm -hmm. it kind of mine anyways, kind of looks (laughs) like coral. And that's actually erectile tissue. So it swells up when you get aroused and it's not a G spot. It's actually a tube of erectile tissue that surrounds a urethra and which will get erection. So there's so much to learn about your body and it's miraculous and amazing. And just one more fact, because I love it because we were talking about (laughs) forming your sexual identity or your, your genitals are being formed like right from the beginning. But at seven weeks gestation, the female genitals stay on the same track as they were. And actually, the male genitals are a deviation of where the female genitals were headed. And I always love that because it just demonstrates to me that we are just different parts organized in different ways. And so we all have value. It's not the almighty penis that has the most value is it both genitals do. I think it's important to have conversations too around how genitals don't necessarily determine gender or even necessarily genetic sex. But yes, the parts that were kind of on track to form a vulva and a clitoris and all those parts, they're kind of 
the path and then the penis and testes and all of those things kind of development branches off given certain chromosomal and genetic inputs, right? As we're developing. So, I mean, there's so many good things to discuss on this topic. Was there anything else you wanted to share with us? I think that's probably good. I think having a frank and open conversation of pornography is really critical in your relationship. I have found over the years of working with couples that if porn is in the picture, it will really impact the sexual relationship in a variety of ways. So I actually, this is my personal experience. I found out my husband had a pornography addiction after 15 years of marriage. Mm -hmm. So that was definitely a time that I look back on. It was the scariest time in my marriage because it was such a huge learning, a realization for me, but I'm so grateful for it because not only was I able to figure out how to heal from porn for both of us, we did it in a very kind of unique way, but also watching somebody heal from it and the huge improvements and changes that happened over the course of a year. So having a good conversation about it is really important. Yeah. Thank you for that. So where can people go and find you and follow you and get learn from you? So I'm on Instagram. I'm doing my best over there. Laura's trying to I'm trying to get her to do more like <laughs> reels and stuff. <laughs> It's kind of an intimidating place for me. So I'm at janadentonhouse.com, no hyphen. And also same on Facebook. I do weekly Facebook lives. And if you'd like to get on my email list and also uh, get some more customized support, you can take my quiz. That's the four desire fixes quiz. So it's just a few questions that you answer. And then at the end, you get a video that is customized to the your best next step and how to um, fix some of your desires. So that's janadentonhouse.com slash quiz. I love it. Thank you so much, Jana, for sharing your experience and your expertise with us. And I hope that as we move into, you know, raising these kiddos and raising ourselves alongside them, that we can have healthier, intimate relationships for all of us. Me too. Thanks for having me, Laura. Okay. So thanks for listening today. Um, Remember to subscribe to the podcast. And if it was helpful, leave me a review that really helps others find the podcast and join us in this really important work of um, creating a parenthood that we don't have to escape from and creating a childhood for our kids that they don't have to recover from. And if you're listening, grab a screenshot and tag me on Instagram so that I can give you a shout out. Um, and definitely go follow me on Instagram. I'm at Laura Froyan PhD. Um, that's where you can get a behind the scenes look at what balanced conscious parenting looks like in action with my family. And plus I share a lot of other really great resources there too. All right. That's it for me today. I hope that you keep taking really good care of your kids and your family and each other. And most importantly of yourself. And just remember balance is a verb and you're already doing it. You've got this.